Hi, and welcome to episode 41 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and my guest today is Megan Series. Although she first went to art school at 15, it wasn't until she was 38 that she really started on her path to becoming an artist. Going to the National Art School and deciding on becoming a painter. Then, in 2016, she won the prestigious Doug Moran National Portrait Prize, but certainly didn't expect to. That mesmerising winning portrait of her daughter Scarlett, dressed as a colonial girl, thrust her into the limelight, and she's been creating works which have been catching the Australian art world's attention ever since, often depicting women and with a narrative behind the work. In the last few weeks alone, she's been shortlisted in both the Percival Tucker Portrait Prize and the Windermark Prize. She talks about the struggles she faced in becoming an artist, recalls the overwhelming experience of winning the Doug Moran and talks about the aftermath of that, including the decisions she had to make regarding the direction her work was taking. I've been trying to line up this interview for a long time and wasn't disappointed when I finally caught up with Megan in beautiful Gerringong on New South Wales' south coast. Those of you who follow Megan on social media will have found a warm and compassionate person and a huge supporter of women in the arts, and I can tell you she is the same in person. All the works we talk about are on the website talkingwithpainters.com and as usual I started by asking Megan where she grew up and what memories she had of art as a child. Well uh, we mainly grew up in Hunters Hill um, but also we had a stint in Canada and in the UK Um, but Hunters Hill mainly and I remember as a small child I went into preschool and the teacher wouldn't let me just paint. I had to do all these other things and so I refused to go because I was allowed to do that at home so I didn't see why I couldn't do it there. And there was this horrible little boy, I used to have these fantastic little teddy bear biscuits with hundreds of thousands on them and this little boy used to steal them and put a banana there instead. So the combination of banana and and, um, not being able to paint, so I didn't go there. So at home you were painting a lot at that age? Yes, yes. Is that because you, you, were you either of your parents or your siblings Um, doing that sort of thing? My father, he actually went to Eastney TAFE. So he did sculpting. And he was doing uh, portraits as well. But what happened, of course, is, you know, he got married and had kids and thought, well, I've got to make some money. Mm. And my mother always said, no, Frank, you just keep creating and we'll see where it takes us. But he couldn't, so he got involved in advertising. and But he, you know, was always there with me drawing and I just have this vision of him you know, with a at the dining room table with a candelabra and pencil and paper and just creating faces out of shadow. Did he sort of talk to you about how to do it as well? Yes, or? he did. He, you know, he talked about forget line. Just think of the the light and dark. Think of how things are formed. So I, I think he spoke like a sculptor more like a sculptor than a, you know, probably 
a drawing drafts person. Mm. Um, and so, yes, he, he, he helped me to see, I think. So at, what about um, high school? Um, high school wasn't great for me. So uh, I'm dyslexic. So I had, I had a few dramas in uh, primary school because they actually didn't really know what dyslexia was back then. Mm. Um, and spelled hadn't actually happened here. So when we moved to Canada, you know, I was called up to the principal's office and they called my mother and said, look, we think your daughter's dyslexic. And my mother was, thank God. Yeah, explains everything. That explains yeah, everything. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and so I was given help, and you know, was learnt very quickly once I was given help. Mm. But because of being dyslexic, I was bullied. Right. And so by the time I got into year one, I suppose it was what it was. Uh, it's year seven now, isn't it? By the time I got into year seven, I was really angry mm. at the world mm. and um, I think I was just damaged. I think I was really damaged by it. And mm. so the worst thing that could have happened to me, year seven was amazing art-wise. I had the best teacher, she was incredible and she was vivacious and anything he did was brilliant. You know, it brought a lot of happiness to, to my life. Right. Uh, so would you spend a lot of time in the art room sort of a thing yes, in Year 7? Yeah, I did. And, yeah. and at home. Mm. So, I, you know, my parents always laughed because I could never really be roused on. Because they would say, OK, Megan, that's not on. Go to your room. And I'd go to my room and I'd start drawing. And they'd say, you can come out now. And I'd go, no, it's OK. <laughs> so, you know, they always thought that was a little yeah. odd. OK. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the punishment would be go out and play in the backyard. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Which I never did. Um, but what so how did that, what happened with the bullying? Did that sort of stop in Year 7 or...? Uh, I think I found my little group and the high school was big enough but you know I was um, a, a real introvert mm. I didn't I didn't really you know my self-esteem was terrible I think that's really what it was mm. and I just had no belief in myself as a person um, and so when year eight came around and I got this terrible art teacher and he the first thing he gave us all to do was to do something from the imagination which for me was fantastic because I loved the surrealists I thought they were just mad yeah. and crazy and you know very intriguing yeah and so I was doing this wacky weird thing and he came up and he said no that's not right and he grabbed the texter and started going over part of the drawing which I had chosen to be really delicate. Oh. And, you know, he said, that's not going to work because this isn't blah, 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 and you haven't used the right colour. And, blah, 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 blah. and uh, you know, I yeah. just remember thinking this isn't good. This isn't going to bode well for me. I yeah. feel bullied by this man. Did you doubt your artistic ability as a result? I did. I really did. Mm. And I still do. You know, I still do. It's one of those horrible after effects, I think. 
Were you, at that point in high school, were you uh, seeing yourself, your future being in art at all? Or? No, not at all. Not at all. I actually, um, I don't think I could see a future beyond I need to get out of here. Mm. So high need. school was a, 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 not, horrific. A, not, not a pleasant It was experience. horrific. Yeah. And, you know, there was a, a very sort of... Um, I suppose it was fairly misogynistic culture within the school too. Mm. You know, the girls weren't treated very nicely. You know, if you think of um, puberty blues, it was very much of yeah, that time. Right. So and the seventies, early seventies, sort of a thing. Yeah, mid seventies. Yeah, mid seventies. Yeah. So it was mm. rife with nastiness and. Mm. Well, I suppose it was the. It was sort of like the sexual revolution had sort of happened, and then it's sort yeah. of like women trying to find with this newfound freedom mm. was it really freedom or was it <laughs> well they were being punished mm. you know this newfound freedom turned into you know accusations of of you know girls being slags or sluts mm. and mm. um you know being used and you know a person i knew not really well but she got accused of being this slag and I remember her saying to me, you know, I, I just love sex. Yeah. I want to have sex. Why can't I have sex like the boys? Yeah. You know, why and do I have to be labelled like this? Yeah, that's right. And it was almost encouraged it, as well. It was. On the one side it's encouraged it and on the other side. Yeah. But if you did do that, you then you would be... You down yeah. pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. So yeah. women were in a really difficult position. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think they, and I think they still are. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah, yeah it's I think you're right. Bizarre, mm, very strange. Yeah. So, yeah. so, at what point? So, what did you do when you left school? Uh, I well, I left early, as you can imagine, fifteen, and I didn't know what to do. So, Dad said, "Okay, let's get you into Julian Ashton," and so oh, I went fine. to Julian Ashton, and I loved it. I loved yeah, it. I yeah. really did. It was just walking into these beautiful wooden, you know, floored rooms. What, did you, what do you think you learned the most from there? Uh, Hand-eye coordination, I think. So to be able to, um, drawing really, I didn't go on to painting there, it was just drawing. But I learnt to be able to see, which was really... Um, you know, I think fantastic. Mm. And that, you know, to be able to measure something onto the page, to be able to see what angle that takes and how, you know, one side would would be, uh, there's a sort of, you know, sharpness and then the other side would kind of disappear away. Mm. How light and shadow, you know, affected that, that whatever that object was within space. And so that was that was really fantastic. Mm. And then I just thought, well, this is really what I want to do. And so I applied for TAFE. And, um, you know, I was 16. And there was kids in their 20s and, you know, a couple of people in their 30s. So I was ah, out of my league. Right. I really was out of my league. I had no really great understanding of art history or 
know, I just like to draw. You know, mm. this is my little world. Mm. You know, I knew a few artists, um, but not many. And these people, you know, they'd been through high school and they'd done mm. their... Yeah, so you felt yeah. like you were sort of behind in a way, oh, behind completely. them. Yeah, yeah. Completely so behind. So how did you find your confidence then after that? Look, I left. What happened was towards the end of the year, um, I got actually stopped on the street and, and asked if I'd be interested in modelling. And <gasps> I thought... Oh, my God. I thought immediately, travel. Yeah. So I said yes. And by 17, I was, you know, working in Hong Kong and Singapore. What? And yeah, so. <laughs> so and what was that like? Look, at first, I thought this is this is for me. But you know what? I was ringing mum and dad up and going, I don't like it here. <laughs> Again. <laughs> You're I, on your own though, so I that was, must have been tough. No, but there were, you know, there were other Australian models over there, mm. but they were in their 20s. Again, yeah. I was in a situation where, um, you know, and I think if I had a strong self-esteem, that would have been fine. But I always felt really overwhelmed by people. Mm. So, so you didn't really, it, it sounds like to me like you didn't have someone there sort of holding your hand, you know, no. and helping you through it. No. You sort of had to try and figure it out just on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a bit out of your depth. Yeah. Did, what, so what did that involve? Is that like, like catwalk sort of thing? Catwalks. Oh, was, okay. Yeah, what was, was that like? like? Did, you, did you have to learn how to do that? Yeah, look, I did. And, and I was told I, I looked like an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll do it for your confidence. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So I needed to learn how to walk. So <laughs> stomp, stomp, stomp. Um, so I did that and then, you know, really modelled through to, I think, 20... I modelled through to 27. I dabbled in acting for a little bit, for a minute. Ah, oh, what that, was that like? Well, look, that was fun. And it was good for me because I was shy. So that was really good. And That was in theatre? Theatre. And I was told that I was good. Mm. And so that started to help me with my self-esteem. I got decided I wanted to do art direction, so got some work in film and television and realised, and I was really enjoying it at first, but really it's, you know, what I was doing was I see it as a glorified removalist because you're moving props and stuff around and an ironing lady because you're doing costume. <laughs> and... And even watching the, you know, art directors, they still had to uh, be told what to do. And so you were looking for something where you had freedom will, yeah, to I do did. what you wanted to creatively. I think so. I think so. And so I decided to um, have a rest. I think I got depressed, quite depressed. And so I went up. Uh, to stay with my mother and father in the Blue Mountains for a period of six months. I thought, I'm going to take time off and really think about it. And one day I was lying on the bed and my father came in and he said, darling, what are you doing? You, you can't, you know, this isn't good for you. Mm. And I said, I'm just really struggling. You know, life is not what I thought it was going to be and I just, I'm not sure where I want to go. And 
And he said, well, I've got something for you and I'd like you to come with me. And so he came in, and it makes me feel teary thinking about it, he came in and gave me a hug. And he said, come on, come on. And he took my hand and he took me down to his studio. And he had set up an empty canvas and some paints. And he stood me in front of it and he handed me a paintbrush and he said, paint. I said, I can't paint. I can't paint. I haven't done anything for years. And he said, it doesn't matter. Just make a mark. Just make a whole bunch of marks. It doesn't matter. And so I did. And I started doing these paintings and friends and people started to say this is what you should be doing and I was selling stuff and so what did you what what did you start with when you started oh you know the first thing I painted apart from the first canvas which was bizarre it was just I ended up putting my hand in the paint and I was just <laughs> putting it all over you know I was just going crazy with it but oh. the first real painting was uh, a woman in a fetal position mm. And so, you know, it's sort of my work extended from that. And then mm. I thought, okay, I want to go to art school. So, it, you know, it took me till I was 38. From the age of, you know, going to art school at 16, it took me that long to get back there. Yeah. And I applied and I got put on the waiting list. I didn't even get in first oh, off. really? Uh, was and it portfolio, by portfolio? Yeah, portfolio and drawing. But, you know, yeah. I hadn't done anything for years no. and I just sort of spent, you know, I think about four months really creating something to, to go there. I was, yeah. And Did you, you know, feel at that point, did you, did you have a strong drive that that was what you... It was really what I wanted to do. Mm. You know, I felt like I was a kid again. I felt completely lost within that space. Mm. You know, that mm. I, the whole world just disappeared. Mm. It receded. And I was in the moment, mm. in the process. And that's where I love to be. Not, not thinking about all this, you know, stuff. Just mm. being in that moment. And so... Do you think that was because you were... Um, it was like a private activity where you, mm. it was just you and the, and the canvas mm. that, it, that suited you you're at that point? I think so. Mm. I do. I think so. Because, uh, you know, it was just, in some ways, it was just me anyway. Because I was, you know, in the mountains. Mm. I was very lucky. I had two beautiful, uh, supportive parents. But I was still on my own and in my head. So this allowed me still to be on my own because I was processing stuff. But it allowed me to, to start you know, letting go of stuff and working through stuff. And, you know, some of those works I, I just threw away because they were so, um, you know, they depicted very damaged women. And I just thought, well, nobody's going to want that on the wall. And even I don't want to, <laughs> I don't even want to look at that anymore. Yeah. So they just got chucked in a skip. Did it feel cathartic? It did. It was. It really, it was an extraordinary moment for me. So what happened with the National Arts School? So how did you end up getting in in well, the end? Well, some fabulous person 
obviously decided to go to Kofa, I guess. So I got <laughs> in. I was, I was so excited. I was so oh. excited. Yeah. Um, and what was that experience like being there? It was it was mixed. So, you know, it had moments of um, elation and and just being really excited and meeting new people, like-minded people. And it had moments where, um, where I just thought, oh, I can't do this. I, I've, you know, art making is really emotional for me. Mm. You know, I'd put my whole self into it. Um, and I touch on things that are fairly dark. Mm. And, you know, I think that that can become quite taxing as well. It was also that I struggled with some of the teachers. So first year was great. I just had the best time. It was all experimental. You got to do all the different classes before you chose. And uh, I did really well in photography. Mm. And it was for a minute there a difficult decision between photography and um, painting. And um, John Bloomfield was my uh, teacher for painting and he was absolutely fantastic and incredibly supportive. And Ella Dreyfus was my photography teacher and again, really supportive and, you know, fascinating woman. Mm. Um, and so it was, it was also a loyalty thing. It was really, <laughs> oh my God, I don't want to hurt either of you. You're betraying well, I mean, them. Yeah, I know. So, so <laughs> odd, really. Um. Um, but in the end, I think it was the the actual slowing down of time, the actual, you know, that process of finding an image and it forming slowly, it coming to you slowly and, and uh, the kind of slippery nature of it, how it mm. can, you know, you could push it back and bring it in and, mm. you know, there was something that was really um, luring. And so by year two, that darkness really started to come into my work. And I actually, I didn't work with colour. I was more of a, a tonalist and there was, um, you know, I had some, I suppose, confrontational moments regarding what I was doing and... Like what sort of... Well, the, they wanted me to be more exper experimental, um, with colour and stuff and at that stage I you know and it was probably coming from my black and white photography um, I just wasn't interested mm. I really wasn't interested and um, and I just didn't see why I had to yeah you that's know? right <laughs> I thought, why why I don't you know I did colour last year I don't want to do colour this year and so I had some tricky moments and then I actually, I remember I was crying outside and Ewan McLeod, beautiful, beautiful Ewan McLeod, yeah. you know, he came up and he said, what, what's the matter? And I said, look, I don't want a painting. <laughs> I felt like I was back at preschool. And he was so fabulous. He just said, well, don't. You follow what your your thing is. That is your thing. And 
he said, you know, people that buck the system, they're always the interesting ones anyway. You don't need to follow what is going on inside that class. That must have been a great piece of advice for it you. It was. Mm. It was incredible. And, mm. of course, I was actually in that moment before he spoke to me. I was thinking of leaving because I didn't want, I didn't want that. So when you left National Arts School, did mm. you... What was the plan after that? The plan, well, the plan was to, to paint and I did a couple of group shows and, um, but you know, I fell in love and, and that's not good for me. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Because I put my everything and all in. You know, I am, I've become, you know, I don't know. I, I become less of a human being, I think, less of myself. Mm. It's like I put everything into that. And that person was going through a custody battle. And so I spent a lot of time really focusing on um, helping the, the kids and helping this person get through the court and it was mm. you know that sort of thing really takes its toll oh definitely it's a very emotional it's sort of really thing. emotional yeah. um and and it wouldn't be it sort of can thwart your creativity a bit when yeah you're... yeah it can and i was lucky enough though that um i had been working uh throughout school um with marion bookelt the artist so um, I ramped up those days with her. Um, she had a lot on, so I was in the studio a lot. So then I, um, that relationship sort of crumbled. I think it was all too much for both of us, the whole thing. It dragged on. It was horrendous. The court thing was horrendous. Mm. And um, so I walked away and... Uh, I ended up going back to the National Art School. <laughs> oh, okay. So I went back to do my honours. That was in 2004. And, you know, mm. that that was, you know, it was like coming home. Mm. It was like coming home. Mm. And, you know, I, I would go back there now if mm. I could. If I, was, if I was able to afford to live in Sydney, I would be doing my master's right now. You were saying that the... Um that you are drawn to those dark paintings and yeah. that and that and we're in your studio at the moment and we are surrounded by these beautiful evocative oh. dark paintings. Oh, thank you. They are really really stunning. And you've described your work as dark gothic romance. Yes. Um, yes. and it does have that beautiful um, that dark setting with some figures that are just lightly illuminated mm. and do have that sort of um, feeling of like a Victorian era or something. Yeah. A lot of them have that sort of feeling. Yeah. Is that do you do you remember how that started or how that you know how you or why you might be drawn to that sort of thing mm. I actually I first noticed where I was drawn to in it, it was actually from photography ah, right. so in first year when I was photographing work I started to look at that you know something glowing in the dark something that just appearing out of darkness Mm. Um, because my paintings weren't dark at that point. Oh. And then 
towards the end of the year, I came across Bill Henson and I just absolutely fell in love with his work mm. um, and also that, that it was ambiguous. Mm. You know, I love the ambiguity. There was so much and it's, you know, with his partner Louise Hearman, you know, once I found him, I found her. Yeah. Um, and so by year two, that darkness really started to come into my work. It's not always about, you know, that it's, it's really dark subject matter. What it's about, it's about finding the light in the darkness. It's mm. about bringing out that hope in darkness. Mm. So the darkness can represent, um, you know, just on an ascetic level, it, it brings form forward. Mm -hmm. So that to me harks back to my father sitting by the candelabra, you know, and bringing this sort of shape out of shadow. Yeah. Um, but it can also, re you know, represent solitude, um, emptiness, the vastness of, um, you know, space, the idea of, you know, disappearing and appearing, mm -hmm. you know, traversing past, present, future. Mm. So there's a whole lot of stuff that can, can be, for me, interpreted in darkness. And then mm. whatever, and you, sorry, yeah, whatever that figure is that I'm doing, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a coming forward into the light. Yeah. So there's hope in it. Well, can we jump forward? Because mm. I want to take you to your big win of the Doug Moran oh National Portrait goodness. Prize yeah. <laughs> from 2016. And for people who don't aren't familiar with it, it's um it's an acquisitive prize, uh, yeah. portrait prize, $150,000 prize money, which is huge. Yep. And you uh, one, before we start talking about the painting itself, I just wanted to ask you about the experience of winning, what, what it was like. Well, that was, uh, if you talk about, you know, those phenomenological moments where, say, you're in a car accident and time stands still? Yeah. That's yeah. what it was like. Yeah. In that moment, I actually didn't hear my name. <laughs> it was my daughter's scream or squeal. <laughs> That um, made me realise it was it was me, and oh. you know what? I they actually had to call me up. He said, "If we, um, Doug Hall said, if you don't come up, we're gonna give the money away because I was rendered kind <laughs> of. I was. So and you were not expecting it at oh all. Oh my! You know, I wasn't even going to put the portrait in. The portrait was really about just having, I wanted to do a painting of Scarlet at that age. Yeah, yeah. And it was for home. And then a friend came over and they said, you need to put that into the Doug Moran. That is oh. amazing. So you hadn't and painted it for the Doug Moran? No. Oh. No. I hadn't even entered my mind. I just would never have, never thought oh. to go into a prize like that. I just... Oh, well, I'll just quickly describe yeah. it. It's called um, Scarlet as Colonial Girl. Yeah. And it is just this absolutely beautiful um, painting. It's a um, portrait of her in, like, colonial dress, in a black mm. dress with a mm. lace collar, and but with this amazing evocative, um, almost mystical background yeah. um, of what appears to be like a bay with, a, yeah. with an orange-yellow-green sky. I mean, that sky yeah. is just amazing. Thank you. Um, and I just want to quote from judge, the judge you mentioned, yeah. Doug Hall, who said yeah. that 
It's subtle, it's withheld, it's beautiful, it's ambiguous, and we were overwhelmed by it. Oh. <laughs> what a lovely thing to say. But no. you know what? I, when I went and saw it at yeah. Juniper Hall, I was quite transfixed as well. There's something quite magical about it. Um, can you tell me a bit about how it came about? Yes, I can. Uh, so Scarlett was doing colonialism. Right. Uh, at school. And at school, yes. Yeah. And she came across this uh, girl, Mary Wade, and she was fascinated by her and she took it to the teacher and, and there was a, um, a part-time teacher there and she discussed it with her and they decided to put her into a play, Mary Wade. And ah. so because, I, I, I'm thinking because Scarlett brought it to their attention, um, she got to play Mary Wade. So, oh, I you know, see. I I love dress-ups. And so I, you know, put this outfit together for her and oh. did her hair and, and you know. Yeah, because it's the plaits with the plaits yeah, that go up onto yeah. the top of the head sort of a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I suppose, you know, for me, it just, um, I don't know, it just triggered something. I just... Mm was watching her up on stage and I just thought I have to have this moment because this was a turning point for her. This was a child that came up with, fairly young child, who came up with this idea, um, you know, was involved in the process of making it all happen and there she was presenting it and doing it really well. I was so impressed with her. And so I think um, as a gift to her, I thought, well, I'm going to do her painting. And so when I said, um, you know, would you like to do it? She, she was like, oh, of course, of course, yes, definitely. And I started her, you know, in the studio and she would get really bored. <laughs> and interestingly, <laughs> mummy, I'm really hungry. <laughs> mummy, I'm really hungry about every half an hour. Um, was she was 10 at the time? Ten, nine, nine or ten. ten. Right. So, bad with so it was all from life? Most of it. Right. And then towards the end, I just needed, she just got, you know, she got tired. And so I, you know, took a few. But I'd already, what the photographs were for was the skin. Mm. Which I must say, the skin, the skin is amazing. It was that because there's a beautiful sort of glazing with the skin. Lots of glazing. Yeah. Lots and lots of glazing. But still kept that luminous quality, very light quality to yeah, it. Yeah, it was the it was such a trajectory for me to step away from the dark, but I couldn't have placed her in the dark. So I needed to you know, seeing her up there on the stage, I thought this girl is shining bright. You know, there's something in her that's extraordinary. Of course, I'm going to think that I'm her mum, but, um, you know, I really felt that there was, she just really had something. And I wanted to, and I took a bit of experimenting to to be able to do that because I was so used to painting in the dark. And mm. after I finished it, I was kind of horrified by it because it was so bright. Oh, really? <laughs> Well, because, well, I mean, that, that background is glowing. I think I've spoken to you about this. Yeah. It is a very glowing golden background. Yeah. And yet still the face 
is luminous. Yeah. It, it still it retains its brightness. Yeah. So that that um, background, so getting that balance between the background and the and mm. the flesh tones must be mm. quite tricky to get it. It was. To do that. It was, and it took it took me some time to be able to work it out and to to get it to where I wanted. And even, you know, I uh, had to turn it away. I had to put it up against the wall for a period of days to to just because you know I'd become so close to it and mm. um, it's, it's hard to see it objectively it really yeah. is it really is and uh, one morning I came down here and I turned it around and I, I actually felt shocked by it I thought oh my god she's in there there what? was something about it you know I felt like it had caught or captured some of her aura and there was I know exactly what you mean. Oh, yeah. it, it really freaked me out and it freaked me out so much I had to turn it away again. <laughs> and then uh, a friend came over and we were just having a cup of tea and I said, oh, I've done this painting. Oh, give me a look, give me a look. I'm like, no, I don't think so. And I turned it around and she just didn't say anything for 10 minutes. And I thought, oh, my God, it's really bad. It's got to be really bad. <laughs> <laughs> and finally she just went, enter it. And I went, what? And she said, enter it into the drug Moran. I'm like, oh, come on. I said, oh, no, I'm not going to do that. And she said, no, you need to. There's something about this work. I don't know what it is. You've just got to do it. Mm. And, uh, you know, and I said, no, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm never ready. I'm never ready to be oh. out there in the big wide world. And she said... So even to what? enter it, you felt you. Yeah, I wasn't. I felt like I wasn't ready, and mm. you know, in some ways, I wasn't ready. I certainly wasn't ready for the media stuff. Mm. But I think uh, what happened was she she was really supportive, and she just said, "What is the worst that can happen to you?" And I said, well, "Well, I wouldn't get in." And she said, "So that's no biggie. If you don't get in, you don't get in." Yeah. She said, "What's the best that could happen to you?" And I said, "Well, I could be on the, you know, semi-finalists on the website." <laughs> and she said, "And what would that do for you?" And I, and I said, "Well, it'd put me out there a bit, I suppose." And she said, "Exactly. So, put it in." <laughs> Little did she know what she was getting you in for. I know. Wow. I know, so I when know. you say the media attention was difficult, was that because you hadn't thought through? Oh, look, it was a really funny... It was a bit of a... So I went up to... Um, my sisters got an apartment there and we went and stayed in Sydney and my mother and my daughter and I shared one room and uh, we probably all snore. I don't know, but I'm going to blame my mother, bless her. And so I didn't sleep at all. Oh. And originally when I got in, I was so excited. And they said, you know, would you be available for the morning for the media release and then for the opening? And I'm, yes, of course. And then uh, the day before, and, you know, it's a generic email, you know, once again, thank you for coming, or, you know, for entering your your picture. And um, it said, it was written, so it said, uh, we hope you are still coming to either, either the media release or the opening. So I'm uh, like, 
so you thought there's no chance you've won. Oh, absolutely none. So, I, you know, and oh. both my sisters were in, um, well, one lives in London, the other one was visiting. So I called them and I said, well, I, I didn't win. And they said, well, we knew you weren't going to win. Just getting in was great. And I said, yeah, I know. I know, but it's weird. I still feel vaguely disappointed. <laughs> And uh, one of my sisters said, yeah, well, 150000 that's a lot. That's a lot to feel disappointed about. Yeah. And um, I said, yeah. So the next morning, because I hadn't uh, slept, I actually said to Mum, oh, maybe we just go tonight and we don't go this morning. Right. And she said, that's ungrateful, Megan, you need to go this morning. <laughs> and, yeah, so there you are. So, ah, so you were really tired. I was that, that... beyond exhaustion. You know, like I literally had two hours sleep. I think I ah, was so so tired, ah. and um, and I think you know I was I was very grateful. I was really grateful that it was in, but once again, you know, my tired self doesn't deal with people. Mm. My, I think you most know, people are like Yeah, that. when I'm well rested, I'm fine, completely fine. But when I'm tired, it's my quiet self and, you know, my introverted self. Mm. So, mm. Um, and... So I, when it's announced, so, the, the, so you're expected to sort of say something, I presume, straight away. So you yes. wouldn't have had anything prepared. Nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Nothing prepared. And... Um, really, all I wanted to do was sit on the floor, rock back and forward and cry, yeah, you know, but of course you yeah. can't, you don't want to look Because it's overwhelming. <laughs> yeah. What, because it's an overwhelming feeling? It's, it's very it's overwhelming. It's a bit shocking. Yeah. It's shocking. You, you've said in your blog that it was a life changer. Yeah. Doug Moran. Can you, in what way? Well, in so many ways, because... Uh, and on so many levels, obviously, um, to be chosen, uh, you know, when you're amongst so many incredible works and really great artists and artists that were, uh, you know, in my mind, there was a couple of works there that I actually felt should have won, you know, and you think you I guess you know I felt very I had a mix of feelings mm. so I felt guilty on one level oh, because I felt that um, I wasn't worthy and that there were artists that had worked a lot harder than I had for years and years and years and um, on the other hand you know I felt that it was really cathartic that I gave up painting for Scarlet and that I should enter back into the art world with a painting of Scarlet, mm. that there was something in that. Mm. Um, but the biggest changes for me, the, 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 it's a double-sided coin. So on the one hand, I had put this work out and it was light. It wasn't dark. And so I had entered into a couple of art prizes and been rejected with my dark stuff. Mm. And so then I thought, I, you know, I can't do my dark stuff anymore. It has to be light. Uh -huh. And I started, you know, looking a lot more at the, the work that seemed to be in. And a lot of it was, for me, sugary. 
In what oh. way? What do you mean? Well, colours. You know, there was uh, not a lot of... There was no real political commentary. There was no um, great depth. It looked like a lot of it looked like designer work. Um, it looked like graphic design. You mean things you were seeing around you look yeah, from other artists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, did you, so does that mean that you felt like the painting you won with was not really representative of your true sort of work? Yeah, no, it's not. Mm. It really isn't. I mean, she's, she, that was, for me, that work. Mm. But that's not my journey to... My journey is the constant bringing, the, you know, the light. Although I got something in her face... That, that talks about that, mm. it's not, it's not, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not drawn to mm. really colourful works. Mm. I'm not, I find it really overwhelming. So, so most of your paintings are, are achieved with glazing? Yeah. 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 So would you start with a, with an underpainting? Yes, I do. I work with washes first. So, laying out the, you know, composition, um, the, just the ground. So it's, yeah. Mm. And I usually use, uh, I usually use burnt umber or a paints grey. Right. And white. And white. And do you find, so if you use, so the difference between, say, using, having a burnt umber underpainting and a paints grey underpainting, is that going to result in a different, Painting? Yeah, yeah. So you have um, you have the warmth or the cool. So you can and you can you know I have used other colours as well. So I've used um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's uh, oxide red, I think. So that really works well if you want a kind of more vivid glow. So with glazing, actually, that's why I'm mm. quite interested in that. Um, what mediums do you use with mm. that? I originally started with, you know, I'd start off um, the work with just uh, terps and a medium one, so a really thin medium. And, you know, it's that fat over lean um, idea. Mm -hmm. And I just found it really arduous. Like, you know, got really bored with having to think about that and... Why? What do you mean? Well, because I think I struggled with the idea that, um, you know, I'd be thinking, okay, now how much paint have I put on this now? What, if I'm going to do a glaze, do I need to have this medium and then I go up another you know, fatter medium, and then, you know, it would start to look a little bit plasticky or really shiny. And I just, it, because it doesn't have the flexibility also that, you know, I might do um, a painting where I really want to do, finish the painting within a week. So especially a smaller work. And the mediums were taking too long for the work to dry. Yeah. So I found liquid. That's quite a thin medium, isn't it? Yeah. And does it dry quickly? And Is it that dries, the idea? Yeah. Right. It dries quickly. So I can do a glaze in 24 hours. 
So also before when you were using a fatter medium, it was just taking days to dry. Yeah, and yeah. what I think the biggest change for me, especially was living moving here because the humidity is so high that things weren't drying. I mean that owl over there mm. uh, I finished last year and it's uh, still not completely dry. Oh, really? And that, yeah, that's a commission. So yeah. I've had to tell, you know, the person who um, ordered it, I've just had to say, look, I'm really sorry, but I can't package it yet. It's going to New Zealand. I, I said, I just cannot package it. Oh, and is that what, because is the top layer like just pure oil, oil paint? Yes, it's oil paint and it's it's got glazing and I was using, uh, you know, those mediums. And if yep, you go yep. up to it, you can feel that it's tacky. Yeah, right. Is that so, because they've got more linseed oil in them? More linseed, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, and, you know, I do, I, it works in some ways. If you, if you want to work... Um, say on a painting and you like working wet on wet and you want to go to it the next day or the day after then using those mediums is perfect but you know if you want to work quickly um, and and for me I like working fairly quickly because some of these some of my works take a really long time because of the glazing mm. um, and well, I read somewhere that the the Moran painting took th over three months. It did. That's yeah. a lot of glazing. That is a lot, a lot of glazing. <laughs> and it was down here and it was humid as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, what happens if you try and glaze over, you know, a glaze that's not dry as it drags? Yeah, yeah. And it's a bit of a disaster. Oh, my God. Mm. You just end up getting these weird ripply things. Mm. Whereas um, the liquid, it's it's sort of buttery as well. There's something creamy about it. I really like the creaminess, and I like the fact that if you if you don't use a lot of it, it it dries uh, in a matte finish. Mm. If you do start to use a lot of it, it sort of has a, a, a just bordering on satin oh, kind of I finish. See. I've noticed that you actually also refer to um, literary works and poetry mm. in, in, you know, yes. on Instagram, I've noticed, and also in your Archibald um, painting in 2009, you did it of um, Brent, actor Brendan Cowell yes. playing Hamlet, Hamlet, who played Hamlet. Yeah. It was called The Rest is Silence, Brendan yeah. Cowell is Hamlet. Yeah. Um, did you decide before you started that painting that you wanted to paint him as that character of Hamlet. I did. It's like what I've done with Scarlet and as I've done with my own self-portrait, ah. she's in character too. You're right. Yeah, we're looking at it on the wall at the moment. What yeah. character is that? It's a, it's a little bit of a story. So each, each person I paint has to have a backstory. And for her, uh, I imagined... And it's a bit of a response, I suppose, to the fact that, um, you know, the newspapers grabbed hold of the she's a cleaner, not an artist. So mm. it was a bit of a response to that. That's what we're talking about after the Doug Moran. Doug Moran, yeah. Do you want to, and, do you want to talk about that? Oh, well, it just was, you know, it was a, one of those um, 
moments where it's the rags to riches story and I think the journalist was looking for an angle and you know I remember actually speaking because it was around about the time that uh, the National Art School was under threat Mm. And I said that, you know, I'd graduated with um, first degree honours and that, um, you know, what a difference it had made to my life being um, a graduate and how wonderful the school was and how it was different from other schools. And, you know, I was talking about that stuff. Mm. And, um, and as a part-time job, I looked after a holiday property and, you know, said as part of what I did occasionally, I had to clean. And all of a sudden I became the cleaner who won the art prize. Mm. First and foremost, you know, actually I'm a single mother. And then I am, and that's a huge job. And then I am an artist. And, you know, that is now the older she gets that becomes more balanced. So I'm a mother and I'm an artist and that's what I am and um, you know there is so there's so much more happening in that than cleaning a house three or four times over a period of a year and how that was you know created into this big story you know and perhaps in in some ways it could have even worked in my favor because People want the rags to riches story. They do. They they think, okay, that's great. And mm. you know, I'm I'm a poor artist anyway, regardless of you know whatever I'm doing. I'm still going to be poor. Um, but you know, it's all learning, isn't it? It's all yeah. working through stuff and learning. And in the end, it is what it is. Yeah, that's you right. Know. You know, I did women's studies. Um, which was really, really interesting. And mm. I think what it is, is not always from a feminist point of view, but just from a point of view that women have been rendered silent. You know, I don't, I, I don't know that they're voiceless. I think they've been rendered silent. There's, there's a sort of a difference. So society has not allowed their stories to be told or they've changed it. So, so is that when you're depicting these women from mm. like sort of the Victorian era yeah. or that sort of thing, um, you're sort of giving them a voice in a way. Is that, oh, yeah. is that the idea? It is. Yeah. It's about um, bringing them into the light. Thanks, Megan, for your time today. It's been a long time coming getting this interview because I did contact you a while ago and I've been looking forward to this interview so much. So thank you so much. It's a pleasure and it's just been so wonderful to meet you and I love your podcast and it's great to be a part of it. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Megan Series. Her work is currently included in a group exhibition in Melbourne with gallery there. Just go to the website, talkingwithpainers.com, for details of that. I'll also be posting a video of Megan talking with me in her studio, and that'll be on the Talking With Painters YouTube channel. I'll let you know on social media when that's online. 
Also, there's another exciting thing coming up. Next week on the 22nd of March, I'm going to be interviewing the wonderful painter, sculptor and performance artist Lottie Consalvo. And it's going to be recorded in front of a live audience at Newcastle Art Gallery. So come along if you're in Newcastle. It's free entry and there's the bonus of an absolutely stunning Elizabeth Cummings exhibition showing there at the moment. So if you do come along, make sure you come up and say hello afterwards. I can't wait to talk with Lottie. She's yet another one of Australia's fascinating artists. Don't forget you can follow the show on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for all the feedback, comments and reviews on social media. And, of course, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and YouTube. If you have time, it'd be great if you could leave a rating and review on iTunes because that's one of the best ways to get the word out about the show. Thanks for listening and hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. I will always adore Betty Churcher, who was at my graduation and she looked at all of us and she said, the one thing you need to know about your career is that you are your truth, that you stick to your guns no matter what comes in and out of fashion because it can be fickle and faddish but you just stick to your guns and you just keep going. Mm -hmm.